And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Uh, As we continue to kind of deal with the fallout surrounding the coronavirus, uh, I want us to think about hope from the perspective of three particular mothers that we find in Scripture. Now, each of these mothers' hope, it lies in the promise of a son in the future. Now, hope for us is always future. That's why we hope, because we don't have what we need or what we think we need or we want. And so our hope looks towards the future. Uh, Same thing with our faith. Uh, I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, or 13 says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, do you know why love is greater than faith, why love is greater than hope? Love is going to be around forever. One day, our hope is going to be realized. We will be in the presence of Jesus forevermore without sin. Uh, you talking about the perfect life. <laughs> we will have it. There will be nothing to hope for. Our hope will be realized. Faith is the same way. Right now we walk by faith. There's coming a day when we will walk by sight. Okay, that, that's all still future for us. Well, hope as well is in the future. And, and these three mothers, we're going to be talking about Sarah, Hannah, and Elizabeth. They all share part of the same story. Now, each of these women were barren. They were unable to conceive. And in those days, a woman's prime source of identity was in the children, particularly male children, that she bore for her husband. But these women were fruitless in that regard. Now, my desire today is that uh, we will be encouraged to hope in the future as we consider their future hope. I want to begin by reading, by reading the promise to Abraham. This is Sarah's husband. It's all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. This is Genesis 12, verse 1. And here's what uh, the writer says. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, we just thank you for all that you've done for us. You've given us scripture so that we can know you. That's one of the ways that you reveal yourself uh, most fully to us is through your written word. And so we're going to be looking at it this morning and we ask that you would continue to strengthen our hearts with the truth of your word. Father, that we would embrace it and understand it. And we need your Holy Spirit for that. So we submit to you even now and just ask for those eyes that can see and the ears that can hear and the hearts that can understand. Uh, Father, for your honor, for your glory, but also for our good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know the basic story. God made his promise to Abraham, who was 75 years old at the time. Now, later we find that, that uh, um, Sarah was 10 years younger. So she was 65 when this first promise was made to Abraham. And although the promise was made to Abraham, by extension, it's made to Sarah as well because she is his wife. And there's that blessing of all the families of the earth or that promise of the the blessing of all the families of the earth being blessed through them. It's talking about their progeny, their, 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 their line that's going to come from them. Well, in, in chapter 15, the Lord, re, Lord reiterates his promise to Abraham saying that his descendants shall be as numerous as the stars. So far, they don't have any children. (laughs) 
But he says, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Again, this includes Sarah. Now, ten years after arriving in Canaan, Sarah is still childless. In chapter 16, at age 75, she takes matters into her own hands. She knows the promise, and it involves her having children, but that hasn't happened. So she takes things into her own hands, and she gives her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham to have a child. And of course, Hagar conceives, and Ishmael is born. In chapter 17, Abraham is now 99 years old and the Lord reiterates the covenant once again with him and adds the sign of circumcision. Now in chapter 18, God promises Abraham that Sarah will conceive, and this is Sarah now, will conceive and bear him a son. And Sarah's in the tent close by and she hears the Lord tell Abraham from this and she laughs. She thinks there's no way, I'm 89 years old. I cannot be having no baby now. So she laughs. She's far past the age of bearing children. And then Genesis 21. In verse 1 it says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, as he had promised, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So she gets pregnant. Isaac is born. Now I want you to listen as the hope of Sarah is finally realized. This is Genesis 21, 6 and 7. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So Sarah's hope is now a reality. Now, physically and theologically, uh, there's a world of difference between Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was Hagar's son. He was a child of the flesh. Isaac was the son of promise. He's the one who was miraculously conceived in a womb that was as good as dead. Now, from Ishmael came the Arabs, the Arabs, the, the long-standing enemies of the Jew, even to this day. Isaac is the line through which the Jews would come. Now, Paul draws out some of these differences for us in Galatians chapter 4. In fact, when Isaac is older, Sarah threw out Hagar and Ishmael so that Ishmael would not be an heir with Isaac. Now, that's true both physically and spiritually. Believers are sons of faith by Abraham through Isaac. Now, in the end, we see that God was faithful to his promises. So, what about Hannah? You have to fast forward some 900 years or so to 1 Samuel 1 and it tells us that she was barren as well. Her husband, Elkanah, he had another wife named Penina. And Penina had borne him several sons and daughters, but Liz, um, Hannah was still barren. Each year the family would go to Shiloh to worship and to offer sacrifices. Now at these celebrations, Penina, uh, she would make fun of Hannah because Hannah remained childless. One year, Hannah goes to the temple to pour out her heart before God. And here's what she said. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the infliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. So she makes a promise to the Lord that if he would give her a son, she would give him back to the Lord to serve him all of his life. Now, 
Eli sees it, thinks she's drunk, and she says, no, my Lord, I'm, I'm praying to the Lord. And at the end of that conversation, Eli says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. Well, shortly thereafter, Hannah conceives and she gives Elkanah a son. His name is Samuel. Now, Samuel goes on to be one of the great prophets and judges of Israel. In fact, Samuel anoints both Saul and David as kings, the first two kings of Israel. I want you to listen to the fulfillment of hope in Hannah's song shortly after Samuel is born. This is 2 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Now, Hannah's exuberant exaltation of God goes on for another eight verses. It is quite a song. Now, again, God was faithful to his servant in answering her prayer, and in return, she was faithful to her promise to give Samuel back to the Lord. And by the way, uh, the Lord gave Hannah another three sons and two, dollar, two daughters uh, besides uh, Samuel. Well, what about Elizabeth? She's third on our list. Again, we have to fast forward uh, probably about a thousand years to just before the birth of Jesus. Now, her husband was Zacharias, and Zacharias was a priest who was serving at the temple. Uh, they had divisions of priesthood. There was 26 of them, and it was his division's turn. They, ser they served twice a year, one week each time. So this is one of those weeks he is serving at the temple. Every day they drew lots for certain duties. That day, he had drawn the lot to go into the holy place, actually into the temple, to burn uh, at the altar of incense, to burn incense. This is literally right next to the Holy of Holies. This is where the curtain was, the veil. This was a huge honor. It happens usually only once in a lifetime. Well, while he is in there, Gabriel, y'all know Gabriel, he's an angel from the Lord. He visits Zacharias, Zacharias with a message. Here's what he says. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. What petition? He and Elizabeth have been praying for a child. They, they don't have any children. For your petition has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, Zacharias questions Gabriel. And Gabriel strikes him deaf and dumb for doubting. Now sure enough, shortly after this, Elizabeth conceives a son who is to be named John. We know him as John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Now here's what Elizabeth says in response to the Lord's faithfulness. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Her identity was tied up in having a child, a son. Well, you know the rest of the story. Six months into the pregnancy, Mary visits Elizabeth. Mary had had an, an, an angelic encounter as well. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her, overshadowed her, and by his power, Mary conceived Jesus, the Son of God. Now, when Mary greeted Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. Now, as I mentioned earlier, these three women share a part in the same story. All three were barren with no real prospect of having a child. 
Hannah does stand out among the three as she prays and she asks God for a son. But their only hope is found in the Lord and in his provision. And God gave them each a son. What sons? <laughs> These were sons uh, that they would be extremely proud of. And for years they had borne the social scorn of barrenness. Sarah waited 35 years for God's promise to Abraham to begin its fulfillment. All right, so it's 35 years she waited. We're not sure how long Hannah waited, but her cohort, her, the other wife of Elkanah, had multiple children. So it had likely been years that Hannah had been waiting for a child. Elizabeth, it says, was old in age, advanced in years uh, when she conceived. But in his faithfulness, God provided hope for them by means of a son. Mothers and fathers too, there's hope for you today. Whether your lack of hope is due to COVID-19 and all of its uncertainties or marital problems or renegade children or employment issues or one of a hundred other things, there's hope. Now the hope I'm referring to is not the hope of a newborn son as we saw in our examples earlier, although that might be a tremendous to blessing to you wherever you're at. No, the hope that God offers this morning is the hope of another son, his son, Jesus. Now I'm just going to read some scripture. Paul um, has what theologians call a very high Christology. Christology simply means the study of Christ. He thinks an awful lot of Christ. And his writings bear that out. We have several passages that have a very high Christology. This is the one that God offers to you this morning as your hope. So I just, I'm going to read them. I want you to listen. First is in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Paul writes, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might himself, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Next passage is Ephesians chapter 1. Again, this is just a glorious passage. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. 
In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things in the earth. Uh, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. My next passage is familiar to uh, many of you, I'm sure, uh, and this is a great one to hold on to uh, when you're lacking in a little hope. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And finally, I, I want to close out this portion with, you know, one of the, the great Christological passages found in all of Scripture, Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Paul writes, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, in Him, in Jesus Christ, we have significance, we have purpose, we have meaning in this life here and now. But you know what else we find in Jesus that looks to the future? We have hope because we will be in His presence forever uh, with no sin to be any type of barrier. What a day is that is going to be when we hope finally and fully in the Lord. You guys can come on up. Uh, Ruby and Lincoln are making their way back up. I, I just want to take a moment. I, did, I meant to do this at the beginning and I forgot. I want to share something with you about my mother. Uh, my mother died uh, July 8th, 1991. And uh, she went to heaven under anesthesia. <laughs> but she was a great mom who, like Lincoln was talking about, raised me. And I have never left those proper ways. And, and I remember an incident. This is not too far from here. It was over at uh, Magnolia Baptist Church in Apalachicola. It's a church that my dad started. He was a bivocational pastor over there. And uh, one summer, uh, my, my mother said, David, how much money did you make? This? I was about eight years old. This would be 1967. She said, how, uh, how much money did you make this week? My dad grew a big garden and always had plenty of tomatoes and cucumbers and squash, you know, extra. And so he gave it to me and I sold it. Now, this was in the 60s, and I was eight years old, but I'd made $45 that week. And she goes, well, the Bible says that you're supposed to tithe on, on, on the money that you make. And she said, that's 10%. So how much is 10% of, four of $45? And I said, $450. And she goes, okay, well, well, you need to give that much to God. Well, I had money on him, so I pulled out a five. And I said, is that okay? And she goes, that will be fine. And so that was my first time tithe. 
And she taught me at that age, and it's never, it's, it's, it's never been an issue since then. It's like, no, this is what you do. You give back to God as he has blessed you. So I'm thankful for my mother, a godly woman who loved the Lord and raised me to know the Lord as well. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.